Romans 11. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 36. And I'm excited about this passage. I'm excited about every passage I get to preach. We're finishing chapters 9 through 11. That section that is, um, is rather difficult, really, to be honest with you. But I hope that we've learned, learned through it. Talking all about Israel. And what God's dealing with Israel. So I'm going to start reading verse 25. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the Gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election... They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Father, I pray that as we go over this word, that you will help me to speak clearly. And that we will all understand clearly and to be able to apply this. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. At the point of his death, Nicholas Copernicus, that's a good name, challenged the idea that the sun and planets revolved around the earth, which was a prevailing idea at that time. Copernicus lived from 1473 to 1543, and most everyone believed at that time that the sun and the planets revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of the solar system. Everything went around the earth. Well, Copernicus challenged that idea by proposing the theory that the earth and planets actually revolve around the sun. What a concept, Copernicus. What are you thinking, Copernicus? Well, later on, the scientists, other scientists, after his death, discovered that he was right. And now it's just a foregone conclusion. We know that this is the reality, that the earth and planets revolve around the sun, But at that time, it was a revolutionary idea. Well, there's another revolutionary idea that is threatening to make a radical change in people's lives. 
And that is that it is not all about us. That the world, or the, you could say the universe, the solar system, whatever, the universe doesn't revolve around us. The universe doesn't revolve around our own little world. We find that as we study the Bible that God is the center of everything. And that we are called to submit to Him. That He is, it is all about God. It's all about God's glory. And that, that shift in our thinking is so important um, it's such an important thing to have happen in our lives to think, to not think of our, like it's all about me, but it's all about God. It's all about God's glory. It's all about Him, um, His praise, His honor. That's what glory really means. Like I talked about the kids. It's His honor, His praise, His fame. It's all about Him. God deserves all the glory. It's not that He's just demanding glory from everybody. He actually deserves it because he is God. Nobody like God. He is one and only. And we just, every time we open the Bibles, I hope, our Bibles, Sunday morning, we get a flavor of God. We get to meet with God because that's really what we need. We need God. And Romans 9 through 11 is is, as we talked, is, is about Israel and how God's promises to Israel did not fail, but those who inherit the promises are those who, of the Jewish people who believe in Jesus. There's a remnant now, there's a remnant at, in Paul's day, and we, there's a remnant of Jewish believers now today, in our day, and someday there's going to be a Jewish revival, a big one where many Jews will come to Christ. So God's promises did not fail. Those believing Jews get the promises of God, right? But even beyond God's working with the Jews, and a lot of talk about working with the Gentiles here as well, beyond that is we just get a sense here in Romans 9 through 11 of who God is. God is glorious. God is awesome. And I just want to look at three, th- three truths in particular about God this morning that we see from our text that we're looking at today. Um, well, let's look at the first one. Truth number one is God is in control. God is, you could say God is sovereign. You could say it that way. God is in control of all things, but in particular we see here in our passage that God is in control of the future. That He is working all things. He's working history to a climax of Christ's return. Let me read 25 and 26 again. Lest you be 
Wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we're not just talking here about history, but salvation history. How God is working salvation throughout history. And this is a really interesting verse. Here. Talking about giving us a sense of timing of these things. Well, what's going to happen? Well, first, the fullness of Gentiles will come in. So that means that the Gentiles being saved. When all the Gentiles are saved that are going to be saved, then there will be a a revival among Jewish people. A big one. So a partial hardening has come upon Israel now. There's still a remnant. But then, there will be a major revival. This is talking about things, uh, about um, timing things, things that are going to happen in our future And these things, this revival of Israel will happen near to the coming, the second coming of Christ. Turn over with me to uh, Luke 21. We're going to look for just a moment at Luke 21, verses 20 through 28. And here we see Jesus talking about the same thing the fullness of Gentiles coming in. And I just want you to just think for a moment as we're sitting here that these things we're reading about are true. Jesus really is going to come in the clouds. Not just a fantasy, you know, a a piece of fiction, science fiction, or a fairy tale. This is real. This is what will actually happen. So let's just read... Um, Yeah, Luke 21, starting in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Same thing. Till the fullness of Gentiles come in. Well then what happens? Well Christ comes. Verse 25, and there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. that, That is just a tremendous verse, isn't it? Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. 
So, we have the promise of God working this amazing Jewish revival and then His coming. And it's really encouraging to think about what a bright future we really have. I want you to see something else in, our, in Romans 11 that is really interesting. Um, verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. What does that mean? I'm going to put that other text up there. There it is. That's verse 26 of chapter 11. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. Um, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That's a prophecy in Isaiah. That's Isaiah 59, 20 through 21. I have it written up, up there for you. That is Christ's, that's a prophecy in Isaiah of Christ's coming. But this whole, this word, all Israel will be saved, this, that phrase, what does that mean? Does it mean every single individual of Israel will be saved? Like every single person in that time will be saved? Well, no. Paul's using this sense of all Israel, like we would say, the whole town showed up to the football game. We're not seeing, saying every single person showed up from the town. We're just we're, we're, we're saying that there were a whole lot of people at the football game. So Paul, what that's Paul, what Paul's saying, he's saying there's going to be a whole heap of people. That might not be the way he puts it. But there's going to be a whole heap of people of Jewish descent. Ethnic Israel saved. Praise God. And then Jesus will come. Isn't that amazing. So we start look, we start seeing, we start seeing a Jewish, a big thing happening. Get ready. God is in control of the future. Well, that, that is really encouraging. I want you to think about the ways that you. Um, plan out your day. Maybe use a, um, a calendar. Maybe you use sticky notes. Um, I remember back in the day, my parents getting day timers. You remember day timers? Maybe you still use a day timer. Right? You, get, you, get, you have calendars. You have places to take notes. You have a way to organize your life and plan. Now, I mean, you can get something on your computer, a little app, and bloop, click it, and it does the same thing, right? But, of all the ways we try to plan our days and plan, our, you know, plan out our weeks, whatever, we are operating with limited knowledge. We don't know, we don't even know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. We might have a good guess. <laughs> Probably still be preaching. But we don't know for sure. Maybe I won't be, right? <laughs> no. It's, we don't know for sure. Now about tomorrow, we are even less sure exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. Harder to predict. But we don't know. But God's knowledge is not limited in any way whatsoever. God knows from the end, from the beginning, God actually stands outside of time He's not in time. I, you know, I, I, I hate being in time. 
I feel like sometimes time is one of those things that just is always there. You're always thinking about it. It's always, it's like, it's like a, a taskmaster. I'm always having to look, I'm going to think about time, uh, you know, and I feel like a lot of times it just it always seems like I'm kind of behind time, <laughs> trying to catch up all the time, right? Well, God's outside of time. We'll be outside of time someday in heaven. Praise the Lord for that. But God knows the end from the beginning. He knows it all, and he is bringing everything to a close. And for us then, no matter what is happening in our, our country or what's happening in our own personal lives, we can know and trust that God is working everything for good. He's working everything to a final end for our good, and we can trust him. We can believe that he has everything in control. We can believe that, you know, all the struggles and difficulties of this life are temporary. They are temporary. They're not the thing that will last. They will, we talked about that this week at Bible study. The things that are shaken, they'll pass away, but God's kingdom is forever. So we can be hopeful that even in the middle of going through difficult things, it's not the end. And if we, we live in light of the future, that means that we're looking, we are, we are knowing that everything is passing away. We know we have a good future ahead of us, and now we're just going to live today going about the Father's business. Not wasting a moment, because life is short and just living for Him, knowing that we have a glorious future ahead of us. So we need to have an eternal perspective, investing in things that really matter, going about His business. Okay, so that's, that's a lot to think about right there. Well, let's go to one more thing, a couple more things. Truth number two is that God is merciful. Let's look at that there in verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to, to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all the disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so, Paul is highlighting God's mercy here. He's saying that, that the Israelites, you see there, look with me there at verse 28, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. What Paul is referring to there is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises given to them. He's saying those, those promises of salvation that are given to them are given to Israel. They will be, there will be some who will be saved. God is faithful to his promises. Verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He is faithful to his promises. And then he talks about how God is, is working his great salvation. Well, at one time, you were disobedient to God, Gentiles. But now you've received mercy. Okay? Because of Israel's disobedience. And now... 
So they too have now been disobedient. They're disobedient now, but in order that the mercy shown to you, by the, uh, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they all may also now receive mercy. So he's talking about this interplay. Gentiles were disobedient. They got mercy. Israel's disobedient, but they someday will get mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So God is a God who gives mercy to both Jews and to both Gentiles. And God's mercy is his kindness, his compassion that we don't deserve. God is a God of mercy. A mother once approached Napoleon, the Emperor Napoleon, seeking a pardon for her son. The Emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice and justice demanded death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. Well, but your son does not, receive, does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy, and he spared the woman's son. We need to remember that we are people who have received mercy. And you can look back on your story and remember, man, this is what I used to be, but, but for the grace of God, but for the mercy of God, you know, and here I stand by the mercy of God. And that's humbling but it's also really encouraging to remember all that God has done for us. And we just need to remember that, that, that God, is, God is kind. He's compassionate. He feels for people. He, he, he has that sense about Him where he, he's, he, he takes pity on people. And so as we're thinking about people that we'd love to see saved, we need to, we need to remember God is a God of compassion and mercy and to appeal to Him and say, God, God, you're a God who takes pity on people. Please take pity on this person here, that person there, and their lostness and save them. Because we know that God is a God of mercy. That's how we can pray. God, I appeal to you on the basis of your mercy that you feel for people, and I know you're feeling for these people we've been praying for. So God is merciful. Praise the Lord. All right, well, here's the last thing. This is, here's verses 33 through 36. We need to remember that God is mysterious. Let me read 34 through, 33 through 36 again. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has, been, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And so what Paul is saying here is he, he's just been talking about really hard truths, really tough stuff that God is, is free to choose people for salvation. That means he passes over other people and doesn't choose them. And that's hard for us to grasp in our thinking. We talked about that in Romans 9. We, we encounter other realities in the Bible that are hard, like hell, right? That is a tough thing to think about.
I don't know who, who said it, but someone said that it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me, it's the things that I do. <laughs> but in all of this, what Paul is saying is, he's, Paul says he's just been talking about all these things, and he's saying, but you know what, I don't even understand it all. It's beyond me. Because God is beyond me. He's beyond us. He says, look, God is, God's wisdom, His judgments are beyond us. They're unsearchable, He says, verse 33. They're unscrutable. It's like, can anybody out there you know, be God's counselor? Can any of you guys like, tell, give God advice about what to do? And we try sometimes, don't we? <laughs> I think I know better than God in this situation. I'm going to give God some advice. God, you know. He says nobody could, nobody could be God's counselor. Nobody can give anything to God. Because God gives everything to us. We, we, receive, we receive everything from God. So, we need to remember that God is beyond us. God is, there's, God is mysterious. We're not going to fully understand Him and His ways. I've told you guys the story of, I think I told everybody here, about uh, me a couple weeks ago running down the road at 6.30 in the morning. It was dark. I go down almost to Pakula's, up, look over up on top of the hill, and I see eyes shining out of the forest. And it's cougar. I'm standing there like, Ugh. Go to, the, go to the side of the road, the other side of the road from where he was. Look at him for a minute. It was probably just a few seconds, but it felt like a minute. Looked at him, yelled at him, waved my hands. He went back into the forest. And then I run back home <laughs> with my tail between my legs. You know, I run backward for a while, and then I turn, right? I want to you know, make sure he's not following me. Or, but I just think about, you think of animals like that. And... We really, they go back in the forest, and we don't, with all our scientific advancements, we don't really know where he goes. He goes somewhere. He wanders around the forest. Maybe we can see evidence of him. Maybe somebody could put a tracker on him or something. But beyond that, we don't really know what he does. He shows up here. He shows up there. But God knows where he goes. There's just a mystery to creation, isn't there? And scientists can get arrogant, thinking they know everything about everything. But there's such a mystery to it. There's so much we don't know. I mean, you look, think about that with like, when you think about the ocean and the depths of the ocean. And there's, there's, they go to different parts of the ocean and see things and, and, and discover things they never knew before. Oh, I always thought, you know, some people think that the ocean is more, that there's more unexplored area in the ocean than there is in space. There's more to be explored in the ocean than in space. But it could be true. I, but I, I just, there's such a mystery to it all. Right? And there's mystery to God. But you know what? That can be comforting. That doesn't have to be something that makes us feel, feel weird, but it's something we can take comfort in. Like, you know what, God? You know all these things. You save, other, you save some people. You don't save others. I don't understand how it all works. You, you, some people do go to hell. Right? I don't, and I, they're hard truths, but I'm just going to trust you. We talked about that like a, like a father who, who doesn't tell his ch children everything because they're not meant to handle it. 
but he's handling it. We just have to trust him on the things we don't understand. So you see here that as we think about who God is, it really changes our thinking, changes the way we, we live. I remember as uh, um, going out with my dad to the fields, and you know he had the, you know, a lot of the fields had had big pumps, you know, pumping water in from the from the canals, and um, well, what I my job when I went out there when he was starting you know, starting a system, you know, was to prime the pump. It was a big thing with a handle. And, of course, that was my job, you know, and it builds the muscles. <laughs> and then, you know, after a little while, you know, the water comes up and goes out of the hole in the top, and there it is. It's ready to go. The pump, the pump is primed. There's water in the system, and the pump will work right now because you have water in it. Well, I I think as we come to the the Bible, we need to really prime our own souls with truth about God. Fill our souls up with truth about who God is. Because that will help life work right if we fill ourselves up with God and who He is. That will change our thinking. That will change the way we live our lives. We see how so much of all of this requires from us a response of faith. Trusting that God is who He says He is. And that can be hard to do sometimes. So I ask the Lord to increase our faith. I'm going to pray in light of these things. Father, I thank You for each one here. Father, we, we, want, to, we want to know more about You. Lord, even though You are mysterious and there's a lot we can't grasp, but there is a lot you want us to grasp about you, and help us to to learn more. Help us to to trust you more. Please change us through the truths we've understood today. I pray you'll bless each one here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this this great section, Romans 9 through 11, that's been so, so difficult, but also so wonderful to learn about. So, please, please bless Bless the, the word into our, and make it uh, effective in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.